Uh, I'm excited to be in the house of God. Are you excited to be in church this morning? Let's hear an amen. If you're tuning in online, we are glad that you've joined us as well today. And we are excited to experience greater things that God has for his church this year. I know I love snow as much as uh, the, the next person beside me. And I love uh, getting out there. I took the kids sledding at Hilltop Park uh, last weekend. And, you know, that kid comes out of you. And you're so, I mean, I was running up that hill with my sled in hand. And I get up to the top, and I'm looking out there, and I am not exaggerating any sense of where there's probably 150, 200 people out there sledding on this big uh, former golf course area. And I was sitting down, I sat down on my sled, and my son is sitting right beside me, Malachi, and he's like, let's go, Dad. And there's like, for about a split second, I had that moment of, this is not a very smart move at 47 years old. I mean, you're going to hit that bottom, and it kind of bottoms out where the path goes, and then you keep going a lot further, and, in, and you're staring at the woods on the other end, and I'm thinking, this is not a wise move, but I'm still going. And I, saw, I had a great time playing with the kids. I paid for it for the next two days, uh, being sore, but uh, I, I love all of that, but nothing replaces meeting together in person as a church. Don't ever settle for uh, less than what God has for us. And I believe as we look at our new theme, Greater Things, I believe God is preparing his church for greater things that he wants to accomplish in us and through us. I believe that he is bringing the world to our doorstep. You don't have to uh, really uh, watch the news. You can just drive down the street and see that people are moving here by the hundreds and thousands. And, and as, as the, the triangle continues to grow, as Wake County, as Raleigh continues to grow, I believe he is going to, he's positioned us uniquely to be able to do great things and I believe he is doing this in such a way as he's seeking to prepare us to experience a fresh move of God's power. I believe he's preparing us for a fresh touch of his spirit. I believe he is preparing us for fresh growth in our faith. He's going to stretch us over the, this year of 2022. I believe he is going to, uh, we're going to go, he's going to stretch our faith. He's going to call us to action. He's going to make us feel uncomfortable at times. And you know what? That's okay. Sometimes you and I will get into a situation, even sitting up there with my son. Uh, for just a moment, I had that little bit of fear in the pit of my stomach. But you know what? That's okay because all, all of that brought forth some incredible memories and times with my son. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Those of you that play sports, you know sometimes you can have that moment right before you step on the field or right before you step on the court and there's nerves begin to play. And my daughter was doing gymnastics last weekend and I remember she's getting ready to, to run and do the vault or ready, getting ready to do the bar. And, and I'm sitting here thinking there's got to be a, a sense of nervousness before you take to the field or take to the court. But folks, it pays off in the end. And that's what happens when the church steps out in fresh faith. God does something supernatural in our midst. It's going to cause us to cross the aisle and build some new relationships with people. Over the last two years, as a church, the things that we faced as a city, as a nation, as the world, it's time to see what God wants to accomplish and the greater things that he wants to do in and through our lives. I believe he wants to do greater things. Sometimes it's after going through difficult circumstances or seasons 
that we experience the greatest work of God's power when we can't do it on our own. And I'm excited to dig into our theme this year and, and to see all that God has in store for his church. I'm excited to see how he will build his church and allow us to impact the kingdom of God right here in Wake County. I believe that I'm excited to see how he's going to build his church, how he's going to do greater things, more than we can ask, think, or imagine. We're praying for God that God allows us to, to reach this generation and the next generation with the gospel. And folks, it doesn't matter how old you are, there is always someone coming after you you need to reach. Some of us, uh, you get to a certain age and we think we've kind of done our time. We've served our time. Maybe as a, as a parent, your kids are, you're, they've flown the coop and you've, you've become an empty nester and you think, we've, we've done our job, you know. And, and my wife and I, uh, over, over the years, you know, we, when we first started off, I mean, you just you bring that bundle of joy home. And, I mean, it's 10 and 2 on the steering wheel coming home from that hospital. And, and my wife's like, you know, please don't cross the railroad tracks too rough. I mean, that C-section scars is it, it, fresh. And, you know, let's, and we're trying to do everything perfect as, as parents. And then... The next thing you know, you blink your eye and they're starting kindergarten. And then you blink your eye and they're in high school. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you're touring colleges and you're not that far away. It happens so quickly. And, and then next thing you know, they're gone and they're, they're off to college and they're beginning their career or starting their life as an adult. Folks, all those things happen, but yet we're not done. God is not done. In fact, you're never done as a parent. And those of you that have adult children, you know, they always still need mom and dad's direction. They need our prayers. They need our encouragement. They need our wisdom. They need our patience. They need our love. They need a constant affirmation of, uh, you know, that we're there for them. We're there to encourage them. And folks, it doesn't matter how old you are. There's always another generation after us. Some, several years ago, I, I did a series called Generations, and we looked at the different generations and their uh, contribution to our culture and our society. And one of the things that's important is that we've always got to be looking at the next generation. The, the, the millennials uh, right now are the ones taking the world by storm, but Generation Z is right behind them, and, and they're, they're coming through the ranks, so to speak. They're going through the school and the process of preparing them for life. And, you know, a Pew study uh, last year found that nearly half of all Americans aged 13 to 17 said that they are online almost constantly. Think about it for just a moment. They're online constantly. For those of you that are watching online now, we're glad that you're here. And the last two Sundays, the last two Sundays, we had to watch online because that we had snow on the ground. And we're going to always do what's safest and what's best for our congregation. And we, and we did and we recorded but I'll be honest, at some point last Sunday during the sermon, our family of six is all sitting around the living room. We're watching the, the, uh, the TV screen, and yet I look down, and all four of my kids are on their phone. I'm their dad. I'm the pastor. And I'm like, seriously, guys, I'm standing right here i mean but i mean they're all four on the you know i'm watching uh i don't know what even video games they were playing but i mean they're 
13 to 17 are online constantly. And you say, well, Pastor, I already knew that because anytime something is wrong with my phone, I hand it to my kids and ask them to fix it. All right, anybody else in that boat this morning? I mean, if something goes wrong with the TV, who do we call? A 13-year-old, a 17-year-old. We're wanting them to fix the problem. This week I was helping my dad because his computer wasn't working and his phone wasn't, you know, going, uh, connecting to his Wi-Fi at his house. And I'm over there going, oh, I don't even know. What is your password? I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to figure it all out and we ended up having to get a new computer but I was like how old is this thing well I don't know I bought it you know after I retired I think it was like at least 12 years old I was like dad computers don't last 12 years anymore we've got to get a newer computer and and we took it to the geek squad and they're like there is nothing we can do with this I mean you know but this generation is online constantly and folks they're faced with things that you and I never knew existed or maybe it did not exist when we were their age. They're facing things in the classroom. They're facing things in their society and culture, folks, that we never knew existed. How are we going to reach the teens? How are we going to reach those that are in elementary school in 2022? The world they're growing up in is vastly different than anything we've ever experienced or known. How are we going to reach people that are moving right next door to our church? That are going to be right around the corner in these new neighborhoods and apartments all around us. How are we going to reach them, folks? It's going to take us getting off of ourselves, thinking we, we have it all together. Thinking we have everything figured out in life and having compassion and love for the lost of this world and folks that believing that God can do greater things in and through his church to reach our city and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you have children and grandchildren and, and, and that are Generation Z. I have four of them in my home. And folks, I'm, I'm going to tell you, every day I'm praying that God gets a hold of their heart and they experience a fresh move of his power and his spirit and that he directs their path and that they choose to follow Christ with their life. George Orwell said this, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one before and wiser than the one that comes after it. All right, so those of you that are in your 20s, somehow you think you're looking at the teenagers that are 13 today going, man, they're so immature. I mean, I'm so much smarter. And those of us in our 40s were like, man, the generations today, I mean, they have no clue. I mean, moms and dads are sitting here going, my kids have no clue how hard it was and how hard we worked. And, you know, I'd already... My dad always used to say, I've already done a day's work before you get out of bed. Well, he grew up on a farm, so he wasn't lying. But I didn't have that experience living in a subdivision in, in Apex, North Carolina. I didn't have that same upbringing. But the reality is, is I look at my kids and I'm thinking, man, I was working harder than you were. And I was doing this. And I'd already bought a house at your age. And I'd, or I was getting married. And I'm doing this. And, and, you're, and you're comparing yourselves. What's he saying? He says, we have to have a compassion a love for the next generation and seeing them come to know Jesus Christ at an early age. I want to challenge you to rid yourself of that tendency to compare ourselves with the next generation. 
I doubt uh, I need to say this much to our church because you love young people. You love teenagers. You love children. But folks, we've got to not ever get to that place where we think we've arrived, that we've become a church full of old codgers. And I'm putting myself in that same, uh, uh, that same movement, but complaining about them. Let's be a church that loves the generations, the younger ones, the older ones. All of us need each other if we're going to make a difference and an impact. Let's be a church that loves the generations and the millennials, the Generation Z, and, and help them see that the church is a place that they belong, a place that they can grow, a place that God wants to meet them. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're reading a, a beautiful and moving prayer that the Apostle Paul is, is sharing, and it's obvious how God is desiring to work in and through the church. He says in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is praying and he's wanting the church to unite around what God can and desires to do in his church. He says, let's unite together to call upon the Almighty God. A tremendous, with a tremendous passion that we might see greater things accomplished in his church and that we might reach the next generation. Our prayer is that they might have a spiritual passion and hunger for God. So this morning we see a, a prayer for the church to experience God's power. One of the first things that you'll notice about this beautiful prayer, it's a prayer. He's praying for power. In, in verse 16, he says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what, church? Power. Let's say it one more time. Being strengthened with what church? Power. He wants us to experience the power through his spirit in your inner being. It's a prayer for a believer to know God more intimately. He's focusing on the spiritual. Remember, the, the writer of this, uh, this uh, letter to the, the church at Ephesus is he's writing from a prison cell. Paul's writing from a prison cell. You can only imagine this morning if you were sitting in prison and you were praying a prayer, probably it would not be necessarily worded like this. It would be, Lord, if you would deliver me from the hand of my enemy. God, if you would uh, watch over my family and protect them from the embarrassment that I'm in prison. God, would you free me from these awful uh, the things that have been accused against me. Lord, would you set me free and deliver me from the bonds of this prison cell? You might expect a prayer of deliverance. But folks, this prayer puts the spiritual before the physical. He's saying, no, I want God to move in the heart of the church in such a supernatural way that they learn to experience God's power. Experience God's power on display. And maybe you'll pray for safety. Maybe you're praying for God to, to, to heal you or whatever it is. But the prayer puts the spiritual first. The Bible always places the spiritual before our physical needs. He always does that. The Bible always does that. We're always praying in an opposite format. But he's saying pray not for our physical needs, not our money problems, marriage problems, health problems, child-rearing problems. He says the Bible is in reverse. He says we must pray exclusively for the spiritual. Say, why is that? Because heaven runs the universe. 
Heaven determines what happens on earth. If you pray through the Lord's Prayer, it says, on earth as is in heaven. We're praying that the power of heaven would be at work in our hearts and lives here on this earth. And the Bible is praying this way. It says, pray in the spiritual realm. The spiritual always determines what happens in the physical. And when you pray for the physical first, you're starting from the wrong place. You're starting from the wrong, wrong end. It says, why do we pray for power? Notice then we'll see a, a prayer for power, but specifically a prayer for God's power. It's a beautiful prayer for the believer. He says, the prayer to overcome evil. In verse 15, he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I love this picture because those words in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I'm calling on the God of of Jacob, of David, of Abraham, of Moses. We just sang about these things. He says, but it's a prayer to experience God's inner power. Folks, he didn't want the church to lose heart. He says it's easy to get discouraged. And if you look back over the last couple of years, folks, we have faced so many challenges as a, as a people, as a family, as a, as a church, as a, as a city, as a, as a nation. As the world, but Paul goes to great lengths to explain God has not created just Jew and Gentile. He's created a third race, the church of Jesus Christ that he's raising up in this age. And he says, it's not just Jews and Gentiles, it's the body of Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're a part of the redeemed. You're a part of the, the child of God, the, the bride of Christ. And, some of the family have already graduated on to heaven. Some of them have already moved on and transitioned to heaven, while others are here on this earth. And so he's given us, he says, the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. And he goes on, never think of ourselves in terms of race first. Never think of your, yourselves in terms of class or, or gender. But he says, it's praying that the body of Christ might be encouraged the body of Christ might be in strength. And so it's a prayer for spiritual power. There is sin-killing power. There is sin-stomping power. There is chain-breaking power. So we're praying to God for a, a move of God's power. And when we see, secondly, we're praying for the church to experience God's fullness. You see, I believe the church doesn't even scratch the surface on most days of what God wants to do. The power that he has on display to experience his fullness. And as we're worshiping as a church just a few moments ago, I'm like, there. I hate to say it, those of you that are unable to be here in person, you can experience all of that through a, a phone or, or through a, a computer screen or through a, a TV screen. But God is moving in power, in fullness. And we need that supernatural power more fully to experience God. He says, he goes on, he says, that according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, he says, he may be grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17 says, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts. I love that because he's saying, I want you to experience the fullness of all that God has. The odd thing is Paul is praying for things that he's already said we Possess. Imagine for just a moment, you're all coming over to my house for lunch. And uh, my wife is back there going, oh, thank God that's not happening today. But imagine if the whole church shows up and we have this massive table set up. And, 
and, and the china's out and the crystal's out and you know her grandmother's silver's out and and we're experiencing we're getting ready for a big feast and you know, there's there's turkey and there's 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 pork there's all of these amazing dishes sitting down the the center of the table and we're getting ready to eat and I I look at you and say hey Jason would you would you pass the knife and you're looking over and right beside me I, I've got this giant turkey there's already a knife sitting why would I ask for something I already have why would I ask for something to already have it but Paul is asking that you would pray. He says that we'd experience the power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. That Christ may dwell in our hearts. Why is he asking us to pray for something that's already there? There was a lady years ago that lived out in a very remote area. And the power company had not given power to her house. And uh, so uh, over time they were getting power closer to her, where she lived in the mountains. And and they finally got there to her house and the power company knocked on her house and said, we finally got power here. They connected her up to, to electricity and she was so excited she had power. And they said that several months went by and they, they realized that she wasn't actually using the power. They said Bill had, I mean, almost no usage. And so they were trying to figure out somebody who's not had electricity all these years, you finally get it. Why is she not using the power? And so they sent um, um, a messenger from the company, with the electric company, said, hey, we want to check and make sure that the power is working. She said, oh, yeah, it's working great. And they said, well, are you using it? She said, yeah, I'm using it every day. And they're like, well, that's interesting because there's hardly any usage being uh, used on your meter. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And said, well, what exactly how are you using it? She says, well, every day, as, I'm, as it starts to get dark, I turn on the lights and I light all of my gas lanterns around the house. And then I turn off the lights. And they said, you're missing the entire point of having electricity. You're missing the entire point of having power because you turn it off. She did not understand the use of power. Folks, the same is true in the church today. There's an extraordinary supernatural power. Paul is saying, I want the church to experience the fullness of God's power on display. To accomplish far more than we could ask or think or imagine. And he's layering up the terms for power in this portion of Ephesians. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit... In, in our inner being. In verse 19, he says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, it's often hard to even comprehend the love of Jesus. It's hard to understand a love where God would send his son, Jesus, down to this earth, die, take our place, take our punishment on the cross and die for our sin. It's hard to understand that. But he says that you might know the love of Christ. It surpasses all comprehension, all knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. He wants the church to experience the fullness of God. He desires all of this for the church, all while sitting in chains in prison. Ever met a selfless person? Someone who's always thinking about others. 
Paul is sitting here in prison and he's writing. He's not saying, just pray that I would be delivered. Pray that I would have this and that and that all of my needs would be met and that I soon get out and I get on back to my missionary journeys. No, he didn't pray any of these things. He says, I want the church more than anything to experience the supernatural fullness of God's power. Woo! I want them to see that God is not in a box. He's not sitting over here. We just open him up on Sunday and kind of let him out, so to speak. And No, I want them to experience the supernatural movement of the power of God. He goes on in verse 20. He says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly. What's he saying? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. What is he saying here? He says, I believe that God wants to do far more than all that we could even ask or think. Far more than anything. It, it blows your mind, so to speak. I can't even imagine the things that God has in store for his church. The greater things he wants to accomplish. The power comes by way of the Holy Spirit. He said the power is in accordance with the riches of God's glory. Because you see... My kids are constantly coming and saying, Dad, I need $20 for this. And if you got teenagers, it's a constant thing. I need some gas in my car this week. I need this, that, or this thing at school's coming up, and we've got to pay X number of dollars, and we're going on a field trip, or we're doing this. And it never stops. And you constantly feel like you're getting the checkbook out to write and buy this or that or this gear or that outfit. What happens is he says God has, according to his abundant riches and glory, wants to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. The power is in accordance with the riches of his glory. And it's the fullness of God, and unimaginable as that sound, Christ makes his power and fullness available to the church. Say, Pastor, what's the application here? What is it that God is wanting to do? Let me encourage you to pray this prayer for God to do greater things in his church because what happens is if the church truly believes the unsearchable riches of God's grace and glory are available to his church folks it will radically transform how you and I pray it'll radically transform how we live our life Lord I'm asking you to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. But he goes on. He says in verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's he saying? He says, I believe he can do far more abundantly. He says, but folks, it's not going to be up to the church. He says, unto him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You see, why are we talking about Gen Z? Why are we talking about the millennials? Why are we talking about the greatest generation? Why are we talking throughout all generations? I don't know about you. I want the, the impact of Calvary Raleigh Church to far outlive me. I want the impact of this church to far outlive this generation, the millennial generation, generation C. And, and folks, as, if the Lord tarries is coming, I want to see this church continue to impact our city and the world with the gospel. 
last couple of years have been extremely difficult for all of us. And folks, yet through all of that, God wants to do greater things through his church. He wants to position us in a greater way to reach our city and the next generation with the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 7, he says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Think for just a moment. Whatever your need is this morning, the Holy Spirit of God is interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's making intercession to the Father for you. And folks, you can just imagine for a moment, Christ wants to start praying. He wants us to pray for the next generation. The generations after us to make disciples in our city and around the world. We don't want to impact uh, Calvary to die with this generation. We want it to continue reaching our city and the world for generations to come. So let's pray for the power of God to work through us, to reach our city with the gospel and those who are moving in around us. Let's pray that the Lord opens greater opportunities in Royal Creek, it's a neighborhood that's literally going to be right next door. Get to know the neighborhood. Get to know the name. Because we're, I told you a couple Sundays ago, we're going to have a prayer walk in probably about three Sundays. And that Sunday at the end of the service, we're going to ask you to walk across the street to our neighbor, or our neighborhood right across the street. Say no one's living there. Exactly. Because we don't want them to think we're crazy. But just as they walked around the city of Jericho, we're going to claim that, that neighborhood for the glory of God. We're going to pray that God gives us an impact in reaching that community, those apartments, those townhomes that are yet to be built, those single-family homes that are yet to be built with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm praying God calls people right here sitting in this room or watching online to purposely build there and say, hey, you know, we're looking to build a house. Why not start right there? Build right beside the church and say, God could use me to be a light in Royal Creek. Also in, in uh, Legacy Farms right around the corner at, at Lake Wheeler and 1010. There are houses going up by the hundreds. I'm praying that God gives us families in those neighborhoods to make an impact. The village of Lake Wheeler, I'm passing it every day to come to, to church. I'm praying God gives us families in that neighborhood to reach the McCullers Walk, Cypress Meadows, Blandy Farms, all of these neighborhoods as they're cropping up all around the church. I'm praying that God gives us an impact in those neighborhoods. What does the Lord want to do with the millennial generation? What does he want to do with Generation Z? He wants them to be a part of the greater things he's going to accomplish through his church. Maybe it's investing in our student ministry. Maybe God will have some of you to step up and say, hey, I'll be a, a small group leader. I'll invest in the teenagers in this church. I'll invest in Kid City and talk to our leaders and say, hey, how can I plug in and be used for the glory of God? Maybe the Spirit is, is interceding on behalf of your child right now. Your teenager said, Lord knows I need all the prayer for my teenager I can possibly have. Do you realize God's praying right now for your teenager? He's praying for your elementary age child right now. And possibly maybe he's praying along, Lord, along these lines. Lord, I know what Micah thinks he needs. I know what Evan thinks he needs. I know, and we start, whatever your child's name is, I know what Sarah thinks she needs. 
But the Holy Spirit is saying, but this is what they actually need. And I pray that as they're praying that, that you would give them what they really need to equip them as a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. I know what Wyatt really needs. I'm praying that you would work in his life in supernatural ways and do far more abundantly than they could ask or think. Will you intercede for our youth? Will you intercede for the next generation? Will you intercede for these neighborhoods around us and pray that God would use us to accomplish greater things? Do we really pray like we believe he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think? If we did, church, it would revolutionize our lives, our homes, our church, our city, our nation, and the world. It would radically transform us. What if you dropped to your knees this morning and said, God, I'm praying, I want you to do such a work in my life, and I want to impact the millennial generation with the gospel. I want to impact Generation Z with the gospel. I want to impact our neighbors around us with the gospel. And God, I want you to start doing greater things in me. I want you to begin to give me a a greater passion and burden for reaching our city and not just getting upset and say, man, this this younger crowd, they're just going to hell in a handbasket. No, they are going to hell without Jesus Christ. But I'm praying that God would give me a greater desire to see them come to know Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I don't like all of the traffic that's coming. Can you, are you serious? (laughs) Every day, trying to get in and out of our church is a challenge. But you know what? It's also a mission opportunity that God has given us. We could, Dad said he, he remembers his very first church. He said no one new moved in to our, our community the entire time he was at that church. No one in a small town, no one new moved in. And folks, they're moving in by the hundreds and thousands. It's unbelievable what God is doing. Pray that God would give us a passion. Would to God we dropped on our knees today and say, God, I'm praying that you would do greater things in my life and prepare our church for the greater things you want to accomplish in reaching our city with the gospel. What, what is he calling is a deeper experience with Christ. God can move mountains. Do you believe that this morning? He can part the sea. Do you believe that this morning? He brings down fire from heaven. He did all of these things in the Old Testament. Folks, he's still calming the storms of this life. When we pray, difficult situations change. When unexplained miracles occur, prayer opened the part of the Red Sea, brought water from the rock. It called bread down from heaven. It made the sun stand still. It brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew Sennacherib's army. Prayer healed the sick. Prayer has worked to save men's souls. This morning, will you join in praying for God to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think? Let's prepare for greater things. Holy Spirit, this morning, would you move in our hearts?